to the Leadership and Success Podcast with your host, Coach Beezy. If you need to develop into a better leader, this podcast is for you. If you want to achieve a greater level of success, this podcast is for you. His mentor, Dr. John C. Maxwell, said it best, everything rises and falls on leadership. We hope to inspire you today and provide you with an insight that has the potential to positively impact the trajectory of your life. Welcome to the Leadership and Success Podcast. All right, everyone, uh, please uh, ask, add all of your questions for my guest uh, on the uh, comment. And thank you so much for um, being here. And first and foremost, uh, happy Thanksgiving. I can't believe the holidays are already upon us. I'm so excited today. I'm going to be talking to a global CISO. Uh, Stitch is here in Dole, uh, from Sykes, and uh, I am very, very excited about what we're going to be talking about. As you know, cybersecurity is becoming uh, quite preeminent uh, across all industries in the 21st century. And uh, today we have a man who may have a lot of the answers on how you can uh, keep your uh, business safe uh, online and uh, keep your uh, organization safe and secure so you can kind of focus on uh, making profit and accomplishing all of the mission of your uh, organization. So with that uh, further ado, I'm going to uh, bring to the screen uh, Stitch. Here we go. And uh, good uh, morning, Stitch. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very, very, very busy schedule to be here. We're going to have uh, almost uh, an, an hour, and I'm very, very glad uh, to have you here. I believe you are the very first uh, cybersecurity professional on the uh, uh, podcast. Again, we're focusing on leadership and success, and we definitely need to learn more about uh, cybersecurity leadership. Good morning. Morning, morning. Thanks, Bob. I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm uh, I'm stunned that that I'm the first cybersecurity guy because everybody seems to be talking about cyber these days, whether you like it or not. You meet somebody in the in the pub or a bar, and and they're talking about cyber. It is it is a weird world. Weird world. Yeah, I think it's it's just the uh, signs of the time, right? And uh, I am really glad that the cybersecurity profession is truly a profession today, because I think when I first got started, it was more like of a hobby, right? People would do it on, on the side. and uh, uh, But now it, it's a full profession. People go to school for it and, and everything. So it's, it's pretty, pretty ex, ex, exciting time. And I think for people like you and me, in a way, I think we kind of have uh, job security. Right? There is always going to be uh, work for people like, like us, and there is not enough people uh, certified or qualified to do uh, the job, which is another thing I am quite uh, concerned uh, about and see you know, what we can do to uh, get more people qualified and kind of get into this uh, growing field, you know, really a field of the future. Um, but uh, if you can start by uh, letting us know about uh, your uh, leadership uh, journey. So you are the uh, global uh, CISO for uh, Sykes. How did all of this kind of uh, start for you? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I can honestly uh, sum it up in two words: uh, by accident. H how does that sound? Um, uh, so I'm the I'm the head of security for uh, for uh, what was Sykes Enterprises um, and is now uh, the the Cytel Group. Uh, we've just gone through an M&A activity, um, and that's been the, the the story of my my life and my career actually. The um, it's about recognizing those those forks in the road, right? Recognizing where your path splits between between one thing and another. Um, I I have a, an intelligence. I've worked for uh, both the British and <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> oh, I'm terrible. Sorry. Um, <coughs> let me mute for a second. 
please take your time. Oh, sure. No worries. Um, I, I've worked for the British and, uh, and Scottish governments and, uh, and a lot of, uh, a lot of what, uh, what I've done in my career has been very much, uh, data driven. I've worked with intelligence communities and, and law enforcement agencies around the world. Uh, working with the, the London Stock Exchange and the, the Royal Bank of Scotland, um, leading the way through uh, through IT developments and, and disruption at the time. Um, I was part of one of the first online banking programs that was launched in the UK uh, with RBS. Uh, and, uh, and I had a great mentor at the time, a, a gentleman called Stan Durham. Um, and then I, I transitioned out of that into a small Scottish owned company um, called McQueen. Um, McQueen was based out of Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, and uh, we pioneered and built the first contact center um, offshore in the Philippines. Uh, now it's, it's one of their, one of the Philippines highest GDP. Um, and every, everybody outsources there uh, because the language capabilities, qualities, customer services is, is excellent. Um, so, so I've been I've been part of a, an industry leading community for some time, and then Sykes in, in 1997, uh, back when I was uh, I was I was working in an emulation software running Windows on Mac and and doing this this weird new thing which was called multi user NT. Now I'm dating myself terribly <laughs> now, um, based on the NT351 platform before it was really ever ever windows or 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 microsoft uh, azure operating system it was just servers in racks and uh, and serving things out to these these new pieces of equipment called win terms or thin clients and now of course we're in 2021 almost in 2022 and everybody's talking about vdi virtual desktop and vti virtual telephony and everything else and it's all thin client technology all virtual and that's where I cut my teeth back in the 1990s. Um, I built the, uh, the a reseller program and training materials, selling this newfangled technology called WinFrame for Citrix yeah. back when the logos were orange because it was a Florida <laughs> company and everything's about the oranges here. I got them sounding more and more ancient by the minute. Um, <laughs> and so I transitioned in that to, to working in IT and building Sykes infrastructure moving us away from Novell networking and Pegasus mail and a lot of other things into this new technology called Microsoft exchange. And at that point in my career, I got a knock on the door for a couple of uh, people in law enforcement, uh, a couple of Bobby's uh, cops. And, um, and they said, Hey, I need, we need your help. We need you to, to see if you can tell us some information about somebody that we believe is working for your company. Um, just tell us if you see anything unusual. Uh, so I, I, did what every any good upstanding citizen would do. I, I helped them out. I dug into data, uh, but being a very data-driven person, again working through intelligence, and um, and it turns out that that was Scotland's most recent um, and most prolific serial killer. And wow. the strength of my evidence, I became a, what they call an expert witness or a star witness in in the EU. Um, I became a star witness on the trial that uh, that ended up putting uh, putting the gentleman away. Um, wow! And then at that point, the executives of the company approached me and said, um, "Have you considered Have you considered a career in security? You might be good at this." Recognizing that fork in the road, I said, "Sure, I'm up for a challenge," and and I've never looked back since. Um, I, I went from a team of three people, myself and a couple of others around the world, um, who are still with us today. Uh, and I, I built a, a global security operations center, 
um, hired a young lady called uh, called Carol Dowson. Carol runs my GSOC today. She's the she's the senior manager in, in charge of my global security operations center. That was 25 years ago that I started that wow. career, um, and now here I am. And I think if I can sum it all up in one word, it's about recognizing those forks in the road, recognizing those new challenges and new opportunities that come to you, and playing on your strengths. That's that's the biggest thing that that, that I, I think has made a difference to me in my career. Um, it's about recognizing opportunities and playing on those strengths. And it hasn't always been a, a story of success, but that's how I've gone from this this little guy working with uh, with Royal Bank of Scotland, um, building this newfangled thing called online banking, which was through twenty eight eight modems at the time, um, and now working in in global cybersecurity. The threats are the same. The technology is the same. The labels and the names have changed, um, but not a lot as not a lot has changed about you know what we do. It's but what has changed is how we do it, um, and and I think that's the that's the biggest that's the biggest changes that that I've seen. You know, from from your background, you know, working in naval intelligence, you know, you can I'm sure you can relate to that, Bob. In that you know, it's it's Absolutely. it's the same basis, right? It's the tools, the technologies, or the pieces that we use to support our effort. That's changed, but the 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 data always always is the the key piece. The key piece is driven it all. Absolutely, and uh, one uh, big difference too, you know, between working for the uh, government and then in the industry, I have seen is industry seems to be really driven by profit, which is perfectly perfectly fine. And usually, you know, if you get breach or there is some type of cyber incident, really the worst that could happen is you, know, you your reputation get garnished a little bit and you lose some some money, right? But in the Navy, uh, anything happens sometimes, you know, people might actually die. So uh, it's a Absolutely. completely different uh, uh, priorities. And I also say, you know, it looks like in, in the Navy, we pretty much have, uh, it seems, uh, unlimited budget. Whatever we need, we pretty much get it from Congress, right? They just have to print more money or, or, or something. We are in the industry. My the goodness, I wish it could have limited. been that. <laughs> I, I couldn't have said the same working in the, working with the intelligence communities in in in, uh, in the UK and uh, and with Europol and Interpol. It was everything was on a shoestring. You'd be amazed what we could do with without funding. Yeah, but but look, looking at your background, how did you get into the uh, FOB Technology uh, Council, which is how uh, we are uh, connected? Which to me really is one of the most uh, exclusive uh, uh, council out there for tech executive. How did that happen sure. for you? Um, yeah, I, 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 I knew new people who who worked with the Forbes Technology Council in the past, uh, but uh, most recently, I've gone through an exercise of rebranding, if you will, um, and I think we all have to do that once once we reach a certain point in our in our careers, um, and it's through that rebranding exercise that I realized that there were so many ways and means above just attending conferences you know and you stand up you stand up in a, as a keynote speaker i was a keynote speaker last week at the uh, the florida technology summit but there's more there's more ways to do that and reach more people and give mm -hmm. back the experiences you've learned the, the things that you've shared with the community and that's that's what's always driven me is that um that uh, that need to help that's what's driven me throughout my entire career, whether it's been in IT consulting or, or training or whatever I've done. It's that need to help. And then with increasing or upping my game on that on that need to help, um, you know, through through mediums like LinkedIn and, um, you know, there's 
everything that we do right now with uh, with Clubhouse and, and Fireside Chat and all these other all these other things. I mean, it's like Twitter, you name it. There's so many ways that you can get the message out there. Um, and I was approached by Forbes Technology Council to say, you know, why aren't you a member of this of of, of this of this one? Why aren't you a member of our group? And I, I was like, I don't I don't know why why am I not a member of this group? <laughs> Uh, and we, we had those conversations and uh, and there's several opportunities which I hope to share very soon with the community where, you know, I, I can use the Technology Council and uh, and the way of sharing that thought leadership, um, providing that input into those those meaningful conversations because pointless conversations, you know, it's, it doesn't add any value. It's about adding value and helping. And, and I think Force Technology Council drives the way with that because they're they're leading those meaningful conversations. Just like yourself, this, which is the reason we're here. As soon as I, as I got onto the Technology Council and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I need to talk to this guy. He sounds fascinating. And I'm sure we're, we're trying to make a difference, Bob, right? That's, that's what. Yes, it. absolutely. Giving back and adding value. I think that is really, really, really key. Like I said, um, prior to the call, I think a substantial uh, um, member of my audience, they kind of knew into this. They want to get into uh, cybersecurity or IT, whatnot. And. Some of them are dreaming of one day becoming an IT executive. What what would you tell them? They are listening right now. Uh, kind of what is what you think? Kind of a mix of experience, uh, edu formal education and training cert cert certification. Somebody just getting started. What do they need to do to to get into our field? Sure. No, that's uh, that, that's a great question. Um, it's it's really about being open to new experiences because experience will get you a hell of a lot further than um, than a certification will. Um, and but um, but unfortunately, where the, the industry is driven, not everybody thinks alike. Um, the industry is often driven with uh, you know they'll look for entry level positions. I see this cropping up on LinkedIn all the time. People bemoaning this fact that where they're searching for an, an entry level security analyst. You know if you're if you're just out of out of college or whatever. <laughs> Come and be a security analyst. Requirements are CISSP or a master's in cybersecurity. And I'm looking at this stuff going, my goodness, what what on earth is driving that, right? Uh, no, none of the bad guys care about the. I guarantee there's no threat actors out there that are breaching multinational organizations that are CISSP qualified. Yes. Um, it's a valuable certification, but it requires you to have spent at least five years in the field. The, the examinations, I've been a CISSP since 2007, but the examinations <laughs> that you have to go through now and the depth of knowledge that you require um, yes. is quite significant. And for an entry-level position, I, I feel it's unreasonable for people yes. to start asking for CISSP-level stuff. There's much better things out there, Security Plus, much better things to dip your toe into, into the water. Um, so, the, you know, it, it's about experience. Go and get yourself experience. And that doesn't mean go and get yourself a job. So you can put that experience on your on your resume or your CV. Um, it means get involved in your community. Look around you. Here in I mean here in Tampa, Florida, um, there are five security level communities, technology level communities, and CISO groups just in this area alone. This is a, a burgeoning tech hub. Is what is what Tampa is on on the on the East Coast now. Um, but it, but get involved in the community. Join the groups on LinkedIn. Look up things on Clubhouse, right? Get onto Twitter. You'll find there's a wealth of experience there. You can learn penetration testing. You can learn whatever it may be just from sitting into those meetings and, and getting onto Twitter and working through those, those different pieces, right? But the community will give you 
the knowledge and experience for free. They won't give you a certificate to waive, right? But if you get involved, you'll get that knowledge. And I think getting involved is the biggest takeaway I think any any of your listeners and, and, and your, any of our viewers can have. Get involved. You'll find it so much more worthwhile. Follow people like Chris Roberts or Alyssa Miller. Right? Follow people like that on, on LinkedIn. My God, you'll learn so much in like five five LinkedIn posts. And you, you'll yes. be like, my God, I, I, can, I can go out and I'll be the next... I'll be the next guy that discovers the next solar winds, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no, that is, that is so true. I couldn't uh, agree more. And something you, you mentioned about uh, the CSSP, I, I got mine, I think I got certified in 2009. And uh, now I am uh, on, on the uh, little board that kind of helps, you know, decide what the next questions are going to be on the exam. But I must tell you today in 2021, after all, oh, it's all your fault. It's all your fault, but it's so hard yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, 22 years of experience. I think I might fail the test if I took it today. I just might fail. So uh, for sure, I'm never going to take that test ever, ever, ever again. Right? So I'm paying my dues. I'm doing all of my uh, C, C, uh, CEUs, right? uh, continuing ed education credit. Of because, course, uh, of course we have I don't to. Because yeah. nobody wants to redo the exam again. So that's <laughs> why we keep again. our CEUs up to date. That's, that is ex exactly right. But, but yeah, you are absolutely correct. People have to get there and really get uh, engaged and find a way. Right? Because I've seen... There are so many paths to um, becoming a security professional, not just one path. Like mine was, I kind of started in IT and I have a STEM uh, background. I did uh, biology, chemistry, and microbiology at the PhD level. But, but really, I mean, I see people from finance, lawyers, they get into yeah. uh, security, privacy. It's, it's really unlimited, uh, it uh, seems. And I agree with you, experience is most important than anything else, more important than ed education and definitely uh, uh, certification. Although I, I feel like at the beginning of my career, certification like Security Plus helped a little bit. Um, no, but, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah, definitely. There is a place for it. Um, I just don't believe that you know, masters in cybersecurity is required <laughs> for a for a level one analyst. Yes, yes. If you've got one, great, amazing, <laughs> good on you. But holy cow, just to put yeah. that into an entry level or a job description, I think is I think is just outrageous. Yes, there's definitely a disconnect um, between the industry and the HR, right? And, and usually people from HR are kind of like the gatekeepers. They have their list of requirements and they won't even give you an interview unless you have everything that is listed in their silly job description, which many times you know, just doesn't make any sense at all, um, which is something we definitely need to change in this uh, industry. Are we going to get in serious trouble, right? Was it last year IC Square said it was like, 2.3 million more cybersecurity experts are needed across the globe because there are so many jobs, but not enough people to actually work them. But when you have a entry-level position job posting and you're asking someone to have five-year experience for an entry-level, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, have to, I have to be careful because one of my best friends um, is uh, is the chief HR officer um, <laughs> for, for a company. And so um, so while I may while I may talk like I disparage HR, I, it's important they have a role to protect the organizations that, that, that we're with. Um, and there's there's always things, ATSs. I've learned recently about ATS, applicant mm -hmm. tracking systems, and how if your resume isn't written a certain way, you won't even get past the computer. I mean, we're in an yes. AI and ML-based world now, and HR is not, you know, lead, HR is leading the charge on a lot True. of that. Um, so what I would recommend to anybody who's seeking to get into cybersecurity or any career now is don't just write your CV because you're you're thinking that a human's going to read it, right? Your resume, your CV, your resume has to be written to get past a machine yes. before it then catches the eye of a HR person, before it then catches the eye of the CIO or CSO that is hiring you. 
I mean, it is it is a new world. Um, so there's 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 ways and means, right? Ways and means. Yes, and talking about ETS, another thing I have noticed because I'm I'm helping a couple of mentees kind of get entry level job into uh, security. Like like I say, it's really, in my opinion, the best uh, profession out there today. I think security and privacy. But uh, anyway, a lot of this ETS system, like they would ask you for your two page, no four page resume or whatnot, and then they're gonna ask you to type in everything that's in your resume, like your job title, your description, and what you do. Again, and, and if you have a lot of experience, it takes you like like an hour just just to to let them know what you've already told them, which again, I think is just silly. That's just stupid. That's making people not even want to apply for, for those jobs. But uh, anyway, but generally speaking, though, as a uh, cybersecurity executive, what do you think we need to do as an industry to kind of make, make this better, kind of streamline the hiring uh, process and try to give people as much uh, experience and, of, and opportunity to uh, get on and start having hands-on experience in security? No, it's a, that, that's great. Um, and, and I think it, it starts with us, right? As, as, as the, not just the hiring managers, but the, the tone from the top, you've got to, mm. you've got to set a culture um, across your organization. Um, as, as leaders, you know, you have, you have, you have directors and managers and VPs and everybody that reports to you all the way down to, um, to whoever it may be down in the field, but they're all, they're all going to hire and look for and seek out people based on what your culture is, the, the messaging that you've driven across your organization. And so what I've tried to do is I've tried to drive um, a culture of inclusion um, and diversity, but not just within uh, race, color, creed, LGBTQ, all of that's important, right? And we need to increase and improve more of that regardless. But look at it from a diversity of skill set as well. Right. Mm -hmm. We need as many different perspectives being brought to the table. Uh, my, I, I'm, a, I'm a martial arts guy. My, my Sifu, my, my teacher, um, and, and Tom Muncy, who is a, a professor of uh, old man's kung fu, taught me something called players to the game. Right? Bring as many players to the game as you can, mm -hmm. simplifying always, and, and then you'll win the, the fight. So if we're talking the fight is now hiring and recruiting and retaining the best cybersecurity talent you can get, seek out new opinions, seek out diverse perspectives, right? I've, I've hired people into my organization, not just from an IT background. I've, I've got a lady who works in our, uh, in our North America cybersecurity region, if you will. Um, and, and she comes from HR. She was previously HR director, but she brings a human element to the game, right? Yes. Um, I, have, uh, I have an individual that's, that's worked for me for many years um, and he was a trainer. He runs my Asia Pacific security organization, uh, Tim Siner. I, I'll, I'll mention names, Jenna Hinson, uh, the, mm -hmm. the lady who's, who's joined our, our North America HR organization. Um, and then we've got other, other facets to that. Um, uh, Callan, Callan Webb, I, uh, we, I, I met Callan at, at a friend's party, uh, introduced to this guy. And he, has a, a, he had a really incredibly sharp mind. And uh, he was formerly a, a Disney cast member, you know, the guys that put on wow. the suits and entertain mm -hmm. everybody. And he went teaching English in uh, Korea. Um, he'd, he'd just come back to the United States. He was looking for a new career, new job, new opportunities. Um, and he just mentioned that he, he'd actually gone out on his own back and gotten uh, a certification in interview and interrogation techniques, wow. um, understanding people, reading body language. And I was like, I can absolutely <laughs> use that. I, I can totally use that. I, I, I need to increase my skills. He, I, I took him on and, and I, I took him on to, to kind of 
gain more insight. Um, I say mm -hmm. I took him on, we took him on, the organization took him on. Yes. Um, um, to gain more insight and gain more perspectives in, he ended up being one of the best investigators we've ever had and <laughs> um, brought an entirely new perspective to developing our security awareness training materials. Yes. Disney cast member, folks. Right. That's Let's just put that in cool. context. How do you want to break into security? <laughs> Disney cast member, go explore the world, come back, bring your bring your experiences to the table. And 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 yeah. he's now he's now working in cybersecurity. Right. N never would have imagined that Pretty he doesn't amazing. have an IT background, doesn't have a lot of deep technical knowledge. But there's always a human at every part of the cybersecurity kill chain. There's always a human from the best and first defense as the human firewall, all the way through to the instigator, all the way through to the guys that have to fix the problems at the end of the day, always a human. So you need that human perspective as much as you need an IT perspective. That is so, so true, especially since the great majority of breaches now are done through social uh, engineering these days. And uh, first way in. Yep. Yes. <laughs> wow. That is, that is quite uh, fascinating. And I like what you said about uh, diversity. When I first got into this field no, back then, for the most part, it was mostly white male that, that I saw. And since then, I think I've seen a lot of improvement, uh, definitely more female in the uh, cyber uh, security field. And uh, I think that is that is that is good. They definitely bring a different perspective. But I, I also yeah, feel just, like uh, it's just not enough. We, we need to add more diversity to cyber uh, security. And like you said, not just ethnic origin or male, female and all of that, but also no educational back background perspective mm -hmm. and all of that but kind of what are the challenges in the 21st century how can we really do this better one one way i have seen at my company now because we are now 100% remote company because of the uh, pandemic so we are not limited to the no, very expensive market of uh, silicon mm -hmm. valley now we can hire people from pretty much you know all across america and uh, I, I think that that does help to get give us exposure to people who, who would not have considered you know two years ago what what do you think about some some other ways we, we may be able to uh, uh do that no i i think you you kind of hit the nail on the head um it's it's really about attracting people from all walks of life all all areas of talent um and, and we need to be more diverse as an industry like you said it, it was I, i'm coming from a very untenable position i'm in a leadership position and i am a i am a white male um regardless of of my 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 inclusion in the LGBTQ community, um, it, it doesn't matter. People people look at me and they, they hear me and they see me talking and, and here I am, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white male. I'm coming from a position that is very untenable when I start speaking about diversity and inclusion, but you can't make a difference from the outside. Yes. And so you have to make a difference from the inside. That's why in, I, I have 60 people across my cybersecurity organization and security operations. I, I handle both physical and cyber. Um, so my security organization is about 60 people all around the globe. 33% of those are women. Um, wow. And realistically, there's there's 46% of my entire organization. These are these are numbers and statistics I'll throw out just to just to give you a rough idea. Um, yes. But almost half of my organization is is minorities, ethnic or otherwise. Um, we have a significant representation across the LGBTQ community as well. Um, and that's not just because, just because of, of my personal beliefs or standpoints, but yeah. it's, it's something that you have to drive. It's something mm -hmm. you have to push. We are no longer, I hire, I, I also hire a lot of ex-military veterans and I'm, I'm a big supporter of the veteran community, um, and, and ex-law enforcement. Um, but it's no longer just an industry of white male, ex-cops, ex, ex, -cops, ex, ex 
hitters out there in the world, right? Yes. It's not just, we're not just bringing that perspective to the table because that is an important perspective, but then spreading all of that out, bringing in all of those other pieces um, all around the globe. It, it's, it's critical. It's critical to our survival. Um, we can't stay ahead of the threat actors. The threat actors are everywhere. Um, so we, we can't stay ahead of them without really truly understanding the different facets of, of the world and, and bringing as many players to the game, as many viewpoints as we can to the table. Every opportunity I can, I'll, I'll shout that from the rooftops. Absolutely. And I think you definitely have to do this by design because it's just not going to happen uh, all by itself, which, 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 which is great. Let's change gear. Yeah, make uh, a conscious, a conscious decision. effort. Yes. Um, let's change gears just, just a little bit. Uh, I think since last year, right, and, and this year too with the uh, Colonial Pipeline, we've, we've seen how something that happened in cyber actually has a, a physical impact, right, in our in environment. Like last year in uh, Germany, a woman died on, on her way to the hospital because of uh, ransomware. So they, uh, uh, that was, I think, the first time in the world that someone actually died uh, uh, indirectly because, right. because of a cyber attack. And then this year, you know, people were paying $7, $10 a gallon. Um, because of the colonial uh, pipeline ransomware. What do you think as an industry, what can we do better to take care of uh, what I call uh, the ABCs of uh, cyber security to, to really uh, ensure that uh, we are at least doing the minimum what is required to keep our uh, company safe and secure? Wow, yeah, oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've got enough time, Bob. Um, Look, look at it. Look at it this way. Cybersecurity is is incredibly complex. Um, yes. Cyber, right? It's cyber everything now, right? Uh, Chris Roberts coined a hashtag which I loved called "Cyber Bloody Everything" because that's what it is. <laughs> right? uh, yes. We are the department of everything, and cyber covers so much now. Um, it's too complex, uh, and that's the problem. Um, when we look at defending against the next breach or defending against um, all of those those pieces that are out there, we can't get ahead of the game unless we go all the way back to basics. Yes. Uh, Emile Coué, a French uh, psychologist, um, the Beatles actually uh, he, he 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 brought a lot of things to the Beatles if we if we put it into pop culture, um, and he um, he said, simplify always, do not complicate. That's how we get ahead of the cybersecurity game. We need to take a back to basics approach because goodness me, there's a gazillion, don't mm -hmm. even know if that's a number, there's a gazillion different tools and technologies out there that are all incredibly complex and incredibly expensive. Everybody is trying to rebrand themselves into the MSSP, the Managed Security mm -hmm. Services Provider kind of remit. You would go out and you'd see a company that would that would have a particular technology that was very niche, did a really good job at what it did, but now they're trying to do a million and one of the things as well. Companies yeah. are buying up other companies to build as much into their security portfolio as they can to turn themselves into a one-stop shop, to give that fabled single pane of glass view into your, your security environment that will never exist. It is a unicorn. <laughs> We're chasing unicorns, people. Um, yes. So what we really need to do is, if, you, if you're gonna make a difference, in cybersecurity. As a leader or as a practitioner, focus on a back to basics approach. Because really, that's what's going to make the biggest difference. Um, you've got to focus on the things that are going to matter 
to prevent a breach because the prevention, right? An, an ounce of prevention yes. is, is better than a, a cure. Um, so are your basics in line? Before you start looking at getting even incredibly complex with all these millions of technology pieces, which you do need, but are your basics in line? Are you, do you have an asset inventory? Do you know where your assets are, whether it be servers, endpoints, or people? Because now, virtual world, COVID-19, everybody working remotely, the perimeter is no longer your firewalls at the edge of your network. Mm -hmm. It's wherever your people are touching your infrastructure and touching your data. It's not work from home, it's work from anywhere. So do you know where your assets are? That's something that's becoming key because all of these cybersecurity breaches, ransomware, everything that's impacting our, our infrastructure, our lives all around the world is happening because you don't really have a handle on your assets. You yes. can't adequately patch and fix the vulnerabilities which the bad guys are using to get into your network unless you know where your assets are that you've got to patch. That's Start okay. with your asset inventory, right? And then patch, 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 patch. Close those vulnerabilities, close those loopholes, keep your stuff up to date. Patching, patching, patching. By the way, did I mention patching, right? <laughs> and then everybody knows that the bad guys get in through social engineering. How do you social engineer your employees? Email. So what do you have in place for email security? How are you preventing the bad guys getting into your employees' inboxes? And then how are you training and educating your people to stop being your weakest link? And I hate it when security <laughs> practitioners call people their weakest link. Humans are not the weakest link. Humans are our best in our first line of defense. That goes the same for intelligence, warfare, and it's the same for our employees in our companies. Humans are what makes the difference. The, the doors, Jim Morrison said, you know, they've got the guns, but we've got the numbers, right? It's the yeah. same thing for cybersecurity. And then, so we've now expanded out asset inventory, patching, and now we're on people, email, right? Security awareness training, make sure people mm -hmm. can recognize the threats when they come in. The threats are so sophisticated, they will always get past people, but you can't take a stick approach. You have to take a carrot approach. Be the security yeah. organization that cares I, I'm a leader that I will have anybody pick up my phone and call me and say, holy crap, I just clicked on something. Yeah. I would rather have that and for me to then mobilize a response to that incident mm -hmm. than have somebody go, I can't tell anybody about this. Maybe if I ignore it, it'll go away because I know that if I tell somebody, I'm going to get yelled at, I'm going to have to sit through three hours of security training and then HR is going to come knocking on my door. So I'll just stay quiet don't be that kind of security people. So wow. identify your systems, patch your systems, secure your email, train your end users, right? Yes. Give them a way and means of authenticating, multi-factor authentication, use your, use your phones, use a token, use a text, but whatever it may be, <laughs> it's better than nothing. That yes. way, when you log in from Tampa at 9 a.m. in the morning, and then all of a sudden <laughs> you get a login from the middle of Africa or, Russia from two o'clock in, in the afternoon, right? It's yes. like, well, well, it's unlikely, <laughs> right? That that's probably the same person. So let's just block it and prevent, pretend it never existed. Um, Absolutely. And of course we can talk around, you know, technologies and we, I can throw as many acronyms out there as you like, <laughs> EDR, SIM, IAM, PAM, Zero Trust. Yes. Let's go back to basics. basics. No, that, that is, that Start is uh, there. fantastic. Yes, that's definitely where everybody should uh, start. And for the most part, especially in the industry, sometimes right, uh, the security budget is always quite limited. You have so much to do, but not enough people, resources, 
money budget to uh, get it done. What what has kind of worked for you to kind of get uh, more budget out of uh, senior management for your program? Four words. I'm so glad the camera's up here because nobody <laughs> could see me going oh, yeah. <laughs> like this. So four words. Security is everyone's responsibility. So I hope that's still forward. Yeah, so there you go. So that, well that's said. really what drives it, right? Because yes. again, simplify, simplify, simplify. Make Drive a security culture. Make security everyone's responsibility. It doesn't matter whether you're a receptionist, a, a janitor, a cleaner, an associate answering a call or answering an email or an executive in the company, your chief legal officer, whoever it may be, Make security everybody's responsibility. Make everybody feel like they've got skin in the game yes. to protect your revenues, your jobs, your environment, your people. But it doesn't all, it doesn't just mean at work. Give people the tools to secure themselves in their private lives. Talk about how they can secure their, their mobile banking. Talk about how they can help keep their kids safe and secure online when they're playing Call of Duty and exposed mm -hmm. to the horrors of the internet, right? Um, <laughs> But Bo Burnham, a, a comedian, uh, he's got a Netflix special. He, the internet, he said, is like anything and everything all of the time. That's yes. one of the songs he sings. <laughs> and, and that resonated with me. It's like teach people just how to be secure people. Yes. Right. That's that's I guess is the piece. That's how that's how I've driven a security culture. Right. And start those security conversations as far left in the life cycle as you can make mm -hmm. security the first thing you talk about not the last thing you talk about um and i realize i'm coming at this from a western perspective left to right yes. um <laughs> but, but make it as early and as often as possible that you're talking about security because security used to be the the way you could prevent sales or restrict or limit business growth flip the script on that make yes. it security is the business enabler it's going to enable secure scalable growth across the company because we're going to get in front of our clients and our customers and we're going to tell them how secure we are yes by our people wow that's 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 really interesting i'm gonna get my soapbox now bob i'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm a little bit too high that is fantastic so i think people are really loving everything you are saying and i think that is really the key right uh impacting the culture and uh, I think security as an enabler of a business of uh, being you know, like what I used to see when I first uh, started as a blocker for everything. No, no, can do, can do being with the department of no, but trying to find out, okay, how can we do it, but do it securely. And, and uh, because you know, for, for almost every organization I've been to, security IT, we, we don't bring in any money, right? Uh, basically what we do is uh, being a cost center. We cost so much money, but we don't bring in any revenue. I mean, sometimes we are in the way of engineering or sales, that's actually trying to bring in um, money to the uh, organization. So I think kind of from learning how to, uh, I, I guess you, you do have to become a leader, right? Being able to influence people right. who may not directly- We have to market uh, ourselves to better. Yes. We have to market ourselves better- Tell us more about To that. our stakeholders in the company and also to the, to the street, to, the, to, to our customers, to our clients. Um, as, a, as a BPO, as a business process outsourcer, um, we secure 700 different brand names that you all know all around the world, whether it's your phone, and I discreetly covered up the label here, um, but whether it's your phone, whether it's your carrier, your bank, whether it's your, your console, uh, whatever, whatever it may be, you know, your, even your insurance, your, your, your health, uh, your, your, your diabetes testing, all this kind of stuff. Those are the clients that I service. So those are the customers and people that I interact with, which is all of you. 
Um, and so I'm building infrastructure and securing infrastructure that keeps your customer interaction and your data and your PII, PCI, PHI, all those acronyms, right? All that alphabet soup keeps all of that secure in that customer interaction. So why shouldn't that security be a selling point? Yes. Why shouldn't it drive more revenue and more business to the company's bottom line? It should. But we need to help educate our sales teams to be able to sell security. How can a sales guy pitch yes. it to a client or a customer and say, oh yeah, we're really secure. Oh really? How secure? Um, <laughs> we've got these, yeah. uh, we've got these uh, EDR and, uh, and these SIMs. We have plenty of SIMs. <laughs> educate them, educate them to be able to talk eloquently about how secure you are, why you're secure. Um, how you, you, you manage and maintain that security, sell that security, make it something that's an offering, a differentiator. I think as leaders, we can all do that, right? But again, it starts at the top, drive that culture of, of security across your organization. So well said, Stitch. And uh, as a cybersecurity executive, what keeps you awake at night? <sighs> um... The bad guys are going after everything, right? You, you, yes. you said this. You said this earlier. I'm not a doom and gloom <laughs> merchant. I, I'm not a Sandra Bullock. Our brand is crisis, or I'm not trying to sell <laughs> things by fear. That's not me. I'm generally an upbeat, positive kind of guy. What, what, what keeps me up at night? The bad guys are going after our comic books now. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. We got, we got War Machine over in my, my corner here, and my, my friends refer to me as Iron Man. I have Iron Man Lego up in my office at home, right? I'm a, I'm a nerd. The bad guys are going after our comics, right? Uh, a massive comic book provider was, was hit by ransomware the other day, okay? Yeah. There is no discrimination. I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night. I, I, I do sleep pretty well knowing that I, I've got a good team around me and I'm part of a good community that shares knowledge and shares um, a sh shares the things that we all need to do to be better openly share it freely share it transparently yes. your legal teams and your organizations will, will, <laughs> will hate you for this when you start talking about it in this way but we all need to share things transparently and honestly we um we went through uh, cybersecurity incidents two cybersecurity incidents last year it's in our sec filings there's, there's no big mm -hmm. secret here um but as part of that we shared and communicated quickly, often, and more than anything else, we shared openly with our clients and our customers and our threat response teams in those organizations in partnership, in collaboration throughout the entire incident. We came out of those incidents with more business, not less, because our clients said to us that we handled the response better than some of our competition. And I, that's not me bad-mouthing my, my, my mm -hmm. competition, our competition. That's, that's not the case. This is direct feedback from our clients say, because we communicated transparently, we shared as much as we could when we knew it. We had yes. people dedicated to responding and we had people that were dedicated to working with our clients and nothing else. Mark McCulloch um, is, a, is an individual that, that worked for my team over here and while we were responding and controlling the incident through our threat response teams, Mark was handling the communications with the client. He has an IT wow. background, he has a security background, 
His, his operations focus meant that he kept our clients up to date, kept them engaged, working with, with incident response compatriots in the various companies all the way through the process. And so uh, we, we came out of that in a good, a good position because in the world of customer service, you don't find out the true measure of an organization that you're working for, whether it be the, the phone that you've bought or the console that your kids play on or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. You don't find out the true measure of a company until something goes wrong and you need support and you need help. And it's during those moments of crisis, look for the helpers because a company that can respond well, that can show you that they stand up side by side, shoulder to shoulder with you in times of trouble, that's a company that you can rely on in the good times. That's true. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better stage. This is really great. I mean, we could be talking for probably another hour or two. We quickly <laughs> running out of time and people in the comments Whenever you get a chance to see, they're really uh, responding well to what you are seeing. And I, I think we, we need to see that more and more uh, as a security practice really across the board. So uh, let me go quickly uh, into the seven question. I uh, really love to ask my seven favorite questions. Number one being, uh, what is the greatest lessons you have learned? Um, find your inspiration in, in, in unlikely places. Figure out who you are, right? Uh, and and when you've done that, you, you'll end up with a, a North Star, as I call it, or a, or a moral compass, right? And that'll be unique to you. Um, and be one of the good guys. There's far too many bad guys out there, right? I'm quoting Peter, Preacher. I'm back to the comic books now. Um, <laughs> but, but be a gentleman and do the right thing. I, I uh, idolized my grandfather. He was a RAF logistics commander in, in the Air Force uh, during World War II. He traveled to North Africa. He traveled to, um, to Bombay uh, at the time. Um, and, and nobody else in my family did that. And I, I idolized him and looked at him. He was a gentleman. He was a true you know, British gent. Um, but then, you know, do the right thing, not because it's easy, right? But because it's right. Uh, and give back at every opportunity like this, right? I, I developed and taught cyber safety to, to kids and parents in schools and fixed computers for, for my neighbors and stuff like that. And in doing so with my next door neighbor, uh, you know, teach a man to fish. Um, I taught him how to fix computers while I was fixing his computer and, and, and cleaning an infection from it. And, and in turn, he taught me how to play guitar, which actually helped me recover from nerve damage. Um, wow. And to this day, you know, he's, he's back in just outside Manchester in the UK and, uh, and, and he's, he's still fixing people's computers today. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's that, you know, giving back. You know, educating, empowering people. Uh, Winston Churchill um, may be a controversial figure now, but but he, he said, you know, <laughs> we make a living by what we get, right? But we make a life by what we give, and yes. that's that's what that's what I feel like it. Wow, this is quite uh, awesome. And what is you think the secret of your success? Uh, am I allowed? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Scottish guy, right? So am I allowed to swear on this podcast? I'm gonna, I'm gonna offend people because this is a quote, right? So it's, it's, and, and I'm gonna try not to, not to offend too many people. But um, 1988, there was a documentary, a rockumentary, if you will, called uh, The Metal Years, and it had Ozzy Osbourne in it. Right? I'm giving you figures that you can yes. all, all recognize. Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne said this. Just remember one thing. You meet a lot of people on the way up. Don't fuck them because you meet them on the way down as well. That's and cool. I was a kid at the time when I heard Ozzy Osbourne say this, right? 
and uh, and he's not necessarily somebody that you should be idolizing or anything <laughs> else. But um, but when I heard him say that as a kid, bear in mind that stuck with me so much so that when you told me about what we'd be talking about here today and and the kinds of questions, I I went all the way back and that's the first thing that wow. stood out in my mind, um, right? So. You've got to you've got to do everything we said, bringing bringing all those players to the game, bringing all those talents to the game. The secret of my success is, as I've progressed in my career and I've and I've I've climbed the ladder, the corporate ladder. Um, I've tried to build those relationships, put that emotional capital in the bank because one yes. day you might need to make a withdrawal, and you're going to need those relationships. So. Be good. Bill and Ted, Bill, Bill and Ted, right? Again, pop culture <laughs> references. Bill and Ted, be excellent to one another. Yes. That's, that's, what, that's all you can do, going up the chain and quote Ozzy Osbourne. Don't, don't screw people over because you're going you're gonna to need them. Everybody at every walk of life, even HR departments. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I really feel like as a cybersecurity leader, not only, you know, I guess it's a given you have AI, IQ, pretty intelligent, but I, I feel like even here in Silicon Valley, what we are really missing is emotional intelligence, being able to mm. empathize soft with skills people. Are, yes. They're, they're what we should be putting on those job descriptions. That's absolutely. what we should be saying is a requirement <laughs> for, for getting into the industry. Definitely agree with you there. Okay, question number two. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna to need to have you back. This is this is, this is great. Uh, we are having too much fun here. What are you learning now? Um, so I noticed you've been <clears throat> you've got a connection with the University of Maryland and um, the Harvard Business School. Uh, so I um I have a degree in Homeland Security uh, through Saint Leo University here in Florida, which is a very much a military community university. Um, and it led me to study UMD's um, START program, the study of terrorism responses to terrorism. Um, and and that that was phenomenal. Um, and I, I worked with Bill Braniff over at START, and he's he's an incredible thought leader. Um, and again, driven by that need to to give back, driven by that need to make a difference. Um, so Harvard Business School has just gone into partnership with a, a uh, an industry disrupting uh, organization called the Power MBA. It's now the Power Business School. We just broke a world record uh, last week wow. uh, for the for the world's largest cheer, 2,500 people live in person through Zoom, you name it, all the way around the world saying cheers for, for the success they've had wow. as, a, as an industry disruptor. So I'm, I'm, st I'm going through that MBA program now. Don't stop learning. I'm a cybersecurity professional, but we need to be less security people and more business people. Yeah, so I that. took it upon myself to, to go out and seek uh, an MBA, but I had to squeeze that in with my work and my job, um, just like I did with the, the degree that I got the, in, in home and security. You've got to squeeze everything in. It's hard. You're balancing all your time and you're juggling all your time. And that's, that's a challenge. But don't stop. Don't stop learning at all. Um, and I'm learning how to rebrand myself through, uh, through a, a wonderful lady that I, that I found online, another thought leader called Donna Sergila. Um, and uh, and I'll happily throw all the links to you so you can circulate them. But, uh, Absolutely. But, but again, learning how to rebrand is something new for me. Certainly, I'm not a sales guy. <laughs> wow, that is really 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 great. Actually, I always even tell my my kids, you know, one skill you need to learn is to become you know, a salesperson, being able to sell, no no matter what you do in life, especially your, yourself. I think uh, we are 
actually out of time, but if, if we can just go a little bit over stage, please. We have That's so fine with me. Okay, thank you. I mean, my time is yours, Bob. It's all good. I think this is going to be the longest podcast ever, but you've said so much and you still have so much to say. I, I need to bring you back. Okay. Question number three, how has failure shaped your life? Oh, I see the tough one. I was hoping we could avoid this. <laughs> yeah. I took it right to the wire, but here we are. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't learn from, from our successes. We learn from our mistakes. Right. Um, so I said, I, I said, I've got a degree. Um, I, I have a, a I have a bachelor of arts in, uh, in Homeland security and criminology, criminal justice. Um, but I, I initially went for a degree right from, right from college, um, in computer science. Uh, I went with this for Harriet Watt university of pre, pre uh, um, engineering university in Scotland. Um, and I didn't stick with it. Um, after, after a year or so, A, I needed money, uh, but B, it was incredibly challenging for me because it was all about programming and development. Uh, and I, I, I was really hands-on, I'm a hands-on learner. And I didn't get to touch a computer for eight months of that first year of that degree, and it drove me crazy. And I didn't stick with it. I actually got my degree, my degree in criminology, because it was something I was passionate about. I actually got that in 2017. Wow. So, that was the first degree I got, not the, not the, not the second. And, um, and so that was my biggest failure. I gave up on that degree. I wish I'd stuck with it. Um, George Santayana or Jorge Santayana, um, said, you know, he's, he's the first person that coined the phrase, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I was determined I would not make that mistake again. And I went out and I got myself a degree. I studied it part-time while I was working, but, uh, but it would have been so much easier if I'd have done it when I could have done it full-time when I was younger yes. because juggling wow. a degree in a career is, is, is a challenge. Um, so that's, that's one of the failures that shaped my life. Another one is in 1998, I interviewed for a job. I'd set up a consultancy organization. I became one of Scotland's first Microsoft gold certified partners as a consultancy wow. organization I built. And, and my former boss, a gentleman called David Skinner, he, he interviewed me for the job I had. It was the most challenging interview I'd ever had. And the recruitment agency that put me forward for that interview said to me, whatever you do, just be honest. Hmm. We've put so many candidates in front of this guy and he's just, he's turned them all away. He's destroyed them. Just, you're our last <laughs> best hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Please just, just be honest. So I went into there and I am an honest individual. I don't, I don't fib. Um, and I sat down with Dave and he gave me the hardest interview of my life. And it lasted for six hours. Wow. And that sounds unreasonable. It's because after the first 30 minutes of that interview, he took me out. He took me right into the team. And he said, here you go. Sit down at this computer. Listen to this guy work with him. And I didn't know. I thought that was still part of the interview process because, you know, I was terrified <laughs> at that point. It wasn't. He would wanted to hire me right there and then. And he put me to work. Um, wow. So I call it a six-hour interview, but that was it. <laughs> However, when I, when I then went into consultancy, David had established the first office, Microsoft Scotland in Edinburgh. Um, David actually went working for Microsoft. He was so sharp. Um, and that's another story. And, uh, and I went to interview with Microsoft. Now I was a Microsoft partner, a consulting organization doing Microsoft work. So I thought yes. I knew everything. I was <laughs> way overconfident. I went to interview with David, David and this panel of Microsoft experts. And I, he was one of the sharpest minds I've ever known. And he asked me a question. And that whole, that mantra I have, simplify always, do not complicate. Mm -hmm. I talked way past the sale. I wow. answered the question in the first sentence out my mouth, but I didn't see a reaction on their faces. So I just kept talking, <laughs> thinking I'll get to it eventually. I'm going to get this answer. 
and I talked right way past myself and talked myself out of my answer. So the, the failure there, I didn't get the job, um, which, you know, worked out for me eventually. But, uh, but the, the failure lesson there was don't talk past the sale. So my first failure sure. lesson I want to impart is don't wait too long to learn and don't yes. talk past the sale. Keep it simple. Wow, was a great, great lesson. Thank you. Number four, who do you know whom we should know? Who are your mentors, thought leaders you are following? You already mentioned quite a few oh, uh, if there's If there's people still here at this point, it's not <laughs> just you and I just talking. Um, <laughs> one of the people that's made the biggest difference to me in my, in my leadership career um, is a gentleman called Joe Carella. Again, I'll, mm. I'll circulate all this information to you and I'll, I'll, I'll you. provide you all these links. Um, Joe is the sports psychology consultant um, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, football team, uh, wow. Super Bowl winners, uh, Champa Bay over here, and the Orlando Magic uh, NBA basketball team. Um, and Joe is, again, why would a cybersecurity leader seek out a mentor who is a sports psychology consultant? Um, and it, Joe came to me through Eckerd College's leadership program. It was such an accident of fate, um, but he taught me I, I am hard of hearing. Uh, I only have 50% hearing, which is why I only have one, um, one thing in my ear. Um, but he taught me how to listen. Mm. And he taught me how to listen from a boardroom perspective. I've, I've had my time on the stage and I've, I've, I've entertained people. I've, I used to do a little bit of stand-up comedy in, back in the day. Um, but he taught me how to, to really help through listening and, and not necessarily performing um, wow. and by, by redirecting, being the guy behind the spotlight, shining that spotlight on other people um, and amplifying their message um, and, and listening more actively. And I've tried to build an ecosystem of listening across my team because of that. Joe has made the most single significant impact to my entire career, hands down compared to anybody. Um, so that's, that's part one, but I want to, wow. I want to bring up a lady called uh, Noreen Ngorje. Um, she is the director of global cybersecurity threat intelligence at Nike. Um, she's hmm. uh, she's also handles a, 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 a monthly global cybersecurity mentoring session where she brings people nice. from all over the world into into this group. You anybody can join and you can gain so many insights um, into that. And she's also a member of the United Cybersecurity that. Alliance, just like you. Wow. Right? That's so, pretty cool. Um, and, and there's also organizations like the Women in Cybersecurity, WICIYS, um, and the Diana Initiative. I'm a massive fan of the Diana Initiative. I thought about wearing their T-shirt today just to, just to show people, <laughs> which helps um, underrepresented genders, sexualities, and races get yes. into information security. So those are the people that I'd, I'd amplify. I can't speak highly wow. enough of Joe, but Noreen is doing incredible groundbreaking work across the community, just like yourself. That is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, we definitely need uh, to get all of those links and have people uh, follow them at least. Thank you. And uh, number five, uh, what have you read that we should read? What's one of I'm the sure best you've read, read it. recently? All right, uh, two-part question. I'm sure you've read the first one. Um, <laughs> it's called Make Your Bed by Admiral yes, William McRaven. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, retired US. I haven't US worked for him, but my former CEO did. Uh, she, and she's completely crazy about him. The best, it's, best it's, leader it's she's ever a... worked for. Yes. Right. And it's just a little book um, and it's based off a keynote speech that he gave at uh, university. Um, and uh, and it, it, the, the takeaway from this, it's called Make Your Bed for a Reason. Uh, and it's something that, that I've, I've, I've been very, very proud of is when you get up in the morning, make your bed. Why? Because that's, that's the first task of the day. 
And if you can accomplish that first task of the day in making your bed, you'll have a sense of pride and encouragement and you knock out another task after that and then another and another because the little things matter. And if you do them right, mm -hmm. then you'll do bigger things right. So William McRaven, Admiral McRaven's Make Your Bed, little tiny book, I'd encourage everybody to get it. Um, it was given to me by my last boss. Um, I hadn't heard the speech, but I've heard the speech. It's incredibly empowering. Go look it up on YouTube um, and find that book. And then the the other book, I most recent book I've read, was recommended to me by a, by a, uh, an executive recruiter that I met um, through a, 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 another cybersecurity contact. Um, and uh, and Jamie Cummings recommended that I read a book called Rites of Passage. It's an insider's guide to executive job and career progress. Um, it was actually last published in 2014, which seems like a, a dog's age ago now. Um, and the author, John Looked, um, he passed away in 2015. But before he passed away, he he revised his book, made it as current as he possibly could before he, before he passed on. And what that book taught me is understanding your value and your self-worth. Being able to articulate your career achievements, focusing on people engagement to get to the next level. Um, and not to underestimate the power of connections. And it may seem dated now to anyone who reads it, but if you read it with an open mind, you can take so many things away. Um, a British comedian called uh, Dame Joyce Grenfell, we're now going back into the 19, 1930s and 40s now, um, but uh, Joyce uh, had this expression, she said, my dears, we haven't touched upon the sordid topic of coin. And, I, and, and we, we haven't throughout this whole conversation, right? But that book, Rites of Passage, addressed the most important question you'll ever be asked in an interview. And it's the question that everybody hates, which is, what's your salary? What's your expectations? And that book teaches you how to answer that question more than anything else. I'm not going to give anybody any spoilers. Um, <laughs> but it teaches because it's the question that everybody hates answering. What salary do you have? What's your salary expectations of the job you want? And people will undersell themselves or they'll avoid the question. But you need to be able to answer the question. Otherwise, the employer doesn't know if they can afford you. And if they don't yes. know if they can afford you, they won't interview you because you'll be wasting the time of the hiring manager. And that book teaches you how to frame your salary expectations in a set of bookends that will appeal to any interviewer and employer. Rites of passage. Worthwhile book. Wow. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, number six, what have you done that we should do? What is one action you've taken that has positively impacted your life? Okay, I'm going to go back to Churchill again. Um, so, <laughs> what have what have what have I done that you should do, Bob? I think you've led a, led a more full life than me. I think I, I should be asking you that question. Um, be honest, right? What have I done? What should other people do? Be honest, but be honest without compromise. Don't compromise your honesty and your integrity. Act based on facts. Oh, that rhymes. No, I didn't realize that. Act based on facts, um, not opinion, um, because mm -hmm. the data will speak for itself. And if you're coming from a position of fact and a position of data and you're holding true to your North Star and your honesty and integrity, then that will serve you well at every point in your life, not just your career. Uh, Winston Churchill said, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. <laughs> and uh, and I and I firmly firmly agree with that. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with those around you. And then never stop seeking out new experiences like this one, Bob. I mean, I'm I'm so grateful that we had this chance through Forbes to to meet and interact and 
and become, I hope, fast friends, but find people to join your teams, find coaches and mentors that can help you and empower you and try and avoid echo chambers. Don't meet with people because you think they share the same opinion as you. Meet with yes. people because you think they share a different opinion and listen. He says, pointing to his deaf wow. ear, <laughs> listen, right? <laughs> No, that is that is so great. Everything you've talked about, really, you can apply in cybersecurity, but in life, in in general. Thank you, thanks so much. You've been so generous. Very, very last question. We already went like eleven minutes over, but uh, what can we do for you? How can we add value to you? Um, I, I admire anybody that's still here. We all have very busy, very packed schedules. Um, the best way to add value is keep shining a light on the darkness. Um, keep shining a light on the challenges that we all face how we can all learn from what other people have learned, right? There's always a new lesson, right? Wow. Shine a light on the darkness because the darkness can't understand the light. So keep shining the light on these, these new perspectives and these, these new opinions and these, these new challenges. The questions you asked, I loved them because it challenged me to think about how I was going to answer them. And wow. that I thought was great, right? I, I do, I do a, the occasional interview and the occasional speaking and stuff like this. But these questions, the way you framed them, it challenged me to think, well, that how does that apply? How can I make that resonate with with other people? Because it's something that's quite personal to you. And I think the more you do this, and the more we can do this as a community, ask those challenging, difficult questions, and be honest, and and keep your your integrity and your North Star. I am shamelessly a nerd and I am, I, I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not the 800 pound hulking gorilla in the room that you expect out of a lot of security professionals, but I'm, I'm uncompromisingly me. Yes. And if that appeals to you and if that works for you, then great, we'll become friends. And if not, then, uh, well, how can I help? And how can I frame the conversation differently? That is fantastic. Shan, the light in the darkness. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sage. I am so, so thankful you took the time. I know you're super, super busy, global CISO, member of FTC, and you, here you are in the flesh and uh, giving us a lot of wisdom. I get. really, really appreciate it. I think, also, by the way, this is going to be the longest podcast to date. I think it's number 14 or 15. So, Not necessarily um, record anybody yeah. wants. But yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> Bob, it's been my pleasure, and I'm, I'm here to help. People can hit me up on LinkedIn. We can, we can connect. We can talk. We can have these conversations, and I'll be happy to come back you throw some more difficult questions. Definitely very, very passionate about cybersecurity and you're definitely advancing our profession. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. Not at all. Thanks, Bob. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Leadership and Success Podcast with your host, Coach BZ. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our channels and come back for more wisdom nuggets on how you may develop into a better leader and achieve greater levels of success. Leadership is the most critical skill. The world will always need leaders to lead others, deploy the next disruptive technology, or execute a business strategy. You may as well decide on counting yourself among the 21st century leaders. See you right here next time on the Leadership and Success Podcast with Coach BZ.